0: And welcome to episode number 11 of Unrelated Things. I'm mixing up the format on this episode since this show is called Unrelated Things and it is about unrelated things. I've decided not to try to group these unrelated things into related topics. So, this episode will be a free for all. The bumpers may or may not align with the upcoming story. So, on to the fun. Thank you all to all of the first-time listeners out there for tuning in, and thanks to anybody who has come back for more. I know my regular initial schedule has definitely been thrown off by the change in um, my career, and so we've become much more sporadic in releasing these episodes, but I am planning to continue to release these episodes, and at some point we'll finally get back on track to some kind of regular release schedule. You can make a donation or find out more about Unrelated Things at UnrelatedThings.net. You can provide feedback at UnrelatedThings at gmail.com, and you can follow Unrelated Things on Twitter, where I'm marginally active, and Facebook, where I'm less so. On to the lubrication and lamentation. The top pick for this episode is a podcast, and it is a specific episode of a particular podcast. The podcast is called Monsters of Talk. It is hosted by Margaret Cho and Jim Short. And episode number 43 had the special guest of Billy Bragg. Billy Bragg, one of my favorite musical artists, if you've listened to previous episodes of Unrelated Things, I have talked about Billy Bragg in the past. Uh, He is a fun and funny and um, meaningful musician. Uh, His lyrics are are often politically motivated, but as often are are, um, based on relationships and he does an outstanding job with both topics. So you guys should all Check out episode number 43 of Monsters of Talk podcast and listen to Billy Bragg. And here is a little taste of what you will get. Your knees are so much nicer than mine. Who's <laughs> that on? It's George Washington. It's It's Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. I know. Who is he? Abraham Lincoln on your knees. It's, well, $6. A left knee. Oh. So it makes sense kinda. Of. Are you really? Yeah, we're going. Um sense. Who who in with <laughs> Who with any sense would have the presidents of the United States tattered on their knees? Excuse me, I'm making this no, you have your bicky. I have a, I have a, I think I have a the Queen on my back somewhere and Benjamin Franklin. Well I had a um a fifty pound note made in it's like um Urban LA thing, uh, where I had a, a made into a rose, a fifty pound note made into a rose. So there's someone back somewhere. And Benjamin Franklin, hundred dollar barrels on my back somewhere. Wow. So I just, um, who should I get on my she, she's body? She's covered in old men. Yeah. Mm. Old, old it's, historical it is, a, it, is a country. it is a country for old men. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, maybe a, a Cornelius Cardew? And that is the start of episode number 43 of Monsters of Talk, where you can hear Margaret Cho and Jim Short talk to Billy Bragg, and that is my pick of the week. This happened. So Apple bought a small company called Q, and there's speculation about why Apple bought this particular company. Apple buys companies, you know, on a fairly regular basis, usually smaller companies that have either technology or personnel that they really want to incorporate into Apple and incorporate into the products that they are creating. So Q was founded by CEO Daniel Gross and co-founder and CTO Robbie Walker, and it was purchased for $50 million by Apple. Uh, Q was an app on the App Store, but that app has been shut down. Um, Q grabs cloud data from your email, contacts, calendar, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, Dropbox, Evernote, Tumblr, etc. And it... And you, you give it permission to do so. And then Q would give you a snapshot of your day based on data that it aggregated from all of these different sources that you let it connect to. It would process all that data with an algorithm and it'll figure out what information you needed and when you needed it. Uh it looked it went through your email, it would find out if you had airline flight information, shipping, invitations. And it would then give you notifications um, within the context of those events that were happening. This is similar to what Google does uh, on Android with Google Now. And it allows the phone to provide um, detailed information on specific things that are upcoming in your life. So it's kind of a, a calendar on steroids. It can give you the weather report in the city that you're flying to, it can give you traffic information, it can make recommendations based on the data that it gathers. So Q does a very similar thing, and Apple has now purchased Q and Q certainly could be used and rolled into the um, Siri uh, experience on the iOS devices, but It's also speculated that Q could be used in a potential upcoming smartwatch that Apple has been long rumored to be designing. So it will remain to be seen how Apple takes the knowledge and the personnel acquired with acquiring Q and rolls that in to Apple's products. Good timing on that. So, what wasn't good timing was up in Burlington, Vermont, my former state of residence uh, at the Burlington International Airport, there was an evacuation, and this was on October the 11th, or the stories from October the 11th. The evacuation may have been shortly before. So, there's all kinds of uh, security now at airports. People are very sensitive about what's going on, at the airports and very sensitive about baggage and carry-ons and making sure that flying is secure since uh, September the 11th. Um, But the thing that shut down the Burlington International Airport in Vermont was toast. The toast situation began in the wee hours of Friday morning before the breakfast rush occurred. Airport officials say that the fire alarm went off when someone somewhere in the airport burnt toast, prompting them to evacuate the airport briefly. After about a half hour delay, things got back underway and passengers were able to make it back through security and all systems were go. So be careful, kitchen personnel, restaurant personnel in the airport. When you're cooking breakfast, don't burn the toast there could be serious consequences. Not consequences. Consequences. But it's this kind of stuff that drives me freaking crazy. This may or may not drive you freaking crazy, but there are 629 words that you won't be able to register as web addresses. For the past year, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers ICANN with two Ns it's a non entity that runs the web's naming system they have been waiting through proposals for over 1400 new generic top level domains so what is going to happen in, to the internet fairly soon is do, top level domain names are going to expand instead of .com and .net and .edu there will be perhaps a thousand or more additional names. So Google may have dot .Google. Um, there has been a lot of confusion in their process and they have identified over 600 that will not be allowed to be registered. Some of these are conflicting with particular businesses that are out there. Um, The International Olympic Committee, for example, is taking 19 addresses off the market, so Olympiada um, will not be able to be used as a top-level domain, for one example. Some other uh, names that are not allowed are .sucks, so you won't be able to get Coca-Cola.sucks, etc., Are you kidding me? No, I am not kidding you, and this story is not a joking matter. The rich get richer through the recovery, and you have heard me speak about this before. The top 10% earners took more than half of the country's total income in 2012, the highest level recorded since the government began collecting the relevant data a century ago. The top 1% took more than one-fifth of the income earned by Americans, one of the highest levels on record since 1913. The figures underscore that even after the recession, the country remains in a new gilded age, with income as concentrated as it was in the years that preceded the Depression of the 1930s. High stock prices, rising home values, and surging corporate profits have buoyed the recovery-era incomes of the most affluent Americans, with the incomes of the rest still weighed down by high unemployment and stagnant wages for many blue- and white-collar workers. These results suggest the Great Recession has only depressed top income shares temporarily and will not undo any of the dramatic increase in top income shares that has taken place since the 1970s. Mr. Saez, an economist at the University of California, Berkeley, wrote in his analysis of the data. The income share of the top 1% of earners in 2012 returned to the same level as before, just above 20%, jumping to about 22.5% in 2012 from 19.7% in 2011. The economy remains depressed for most wage-earning families. With sustained relatively high rates of unemployment, businesses are under no pressure to raise their employees' incomes because both workers and employees know that many people without jobs will be willing to work for less. So, as has been, as continues, the wealthy are able to make greater gains than the rest of the population through the tough times in the economy and through the quote unquote recovery. The wealth of the middle class and lower class has not recovered in any way shape or form and is well below what it was before the recent recession and the wealth of the wealthy has just continued to increase. And that's just the way it is. That is just the way it is, despite what anybody else might tell you. So there is a significant shortage that is facing Sweden right now. Sweden has done a lot in their economy to build in systems that um, make them more self-reliant one of those systems is running into a shortage. This is from Amanda Froelich at trueactivist.com. Imagine a world where pollution is a non-issue. Cities are pristine, healthy environments to live in, and little to no entanglements from discarded trash, injures wildlife, or clogs the oceans. In Sweden, this is almost a reality. Yet, it's causing a paradoxical predicament for the recycle-happy country that relies on waste to heat and provide electricity to hundreds of thousands of homes. The Scandinavian nation of more than 9.5 million citizens has run out of garbage. While this is a positive, almost enviable predicament for a country to be facing, Sweden now has to search for rubbish outside its borders to generate its waste-to-energy incineration program. It's namely Norway officials who are now shipping 80,000 tons of refuse annually to fuel the country with outside waste. The population's remarkable pertinacious recycling habits are an inspiration for other garbage-bloated countries where the idea of empty landfills is scarce. In fact, only 4% of all waste in Sweden is landfilled, a big win for the future of sustainable living. By using its 2 million tons of waste as energy and scrapping for more outside of its borders, this country is shown in international comparisons to be the global leader in recovering energy in waste. So some spectacular results uh, in Sweden for reducing the amount of garbage that is actually landfilled in that country by using it to generate energy. However, they need more resources, they need more garbage to fuel those plants. So they are going outside of their borders to find that garbage. One of the biggest yeah. deals ever in the history of ever. Pretty big deal. And this was a big deal for a short time in Egypt. In Egypt, they arrested a spy back at the start of September. And this story comes from abclocal.go.com. A man in Egypt's Cana government, some 450 kilometers southeast of Cairo, found a suspicious sw- What he called swan, but turned out to be a stork, among four others near his home, and he brought them to a police station. There, officers and the man puzzled over the electronic device attached to the bird's wing. On Saturday, veterinary committee called by concerned government officials determined the device was neither a bomb nor a spying device. Instead, they discovered it was a wildlife tracker used by French scientists to follow the movement of migrating birds. They said the device stopped working when the bird crossed the French border and cleared the bird of being a spy. So tensions are high in Egypt and the wildlife is now becoming a suspect in spying. And that's not where this story ends because about a week later, this story popped up on sfgate.com. A stork once detained by Egyptian authorities on suspicion of being a winged spy has been found dead. The head of Egypt's southern protected areas said Saturday that local residents found the dead bird on an island in the Nile, south of the ancient city of Aswan. So, the plot thickens what happened to this particular bird who had been cleared of spying who was the killer and where are they now <laughs> so here's a story in the crowd funding category which is both exciting and horrible. So this is from uh, GiveForward.com. So GiveForward.com is a website where you, it's it's Kickstarter-like or Indiegogo-like, and you can go on and you can choose from a series of individuals who have financial needs to cover their medical expenses. So there's a whole lot of different um, funding opportunities here. There are people that are facing breast cancer. There are children that are looking for new hearts. Um, There are people in need of lung transplants. I think that it's fantastic that this site exists on the level that it is people helping people, it's neighbor helping neighbor, it is us supporting each other. I think it's it's fantastic that people who otherwise would have the l- more limited opportunity to have a local fundraiser or to have a jar put out at the local convenience store to collect funds for medical needs can now reach a national and international audience and perhaps get donations in that way but on another level i think this site is horrendous i think it it points out the horrendous state of the way that our medical care is provided and funded in the United States. Uh, I started off this episode with my top pick of Billy Bragg talking on uh, the show with Margaret Cho, Monsters of Talk, and I think it was James or Jim Short. Um, and, And part of that interview, they talk about entertainment, and they talk about uh, what Billy Bragg has been watching, and he, he mentions that he has been watching Breaking Bad, and points out that it, it can, maybe not only, but but the conditions in that show are in part set by the state of our medical system in the United States and the funding of that medical system in the United States. He pointed out that if Walter White had been diagnosed with cancer in the UK, he would have fully funded treatment for that cancer and he wouldn't need to cook meth and he wouldn't need to find some scheme to raise money to make sure that his family was, was financially set because his medical condition would not bankrupt his family. So that's the part of this particular website of giveforward.com that I just think points out the the horrible nature of our system. I'm glad that people are doing this. I'm glad that people have the opportunity to reach out and ask for funding um, to, to fulfill their needs. I'm glad that there are people that have established this for them to do so. I'm glad there are people that will go on there and help other people out with funding, I am just horrified that we live in in an advanced society that makes people have to do this, to support themselves and to not bankrupt their families. Boy, howdy. Let's see, where is this story from? Uh, California. So in California, some people broke into an office and stole all of their computer equipment. And then later came back and returned it with this note. We had no idea what we were taking. Here is your stuff back. We hope that you guys can continue to make a difference in people's lives. God bless. What led these robbers to their change of heart? Well, finding out what that office that they stole that equipment was there to do. The office was a center that offers help to sexual assault victims. And the woman who runs the facility says, our office is really secure. We have the best locks, but they still managed to find a way in. After the robbery, the people that managed this office went and talked to the individuals that that, uh, were the transients that were frequently outside their establishment and let them know what happened. And a few hours later, after the word got spread is when the equipment came back with the note. So some penitent crooks in California returned to the scene of the crime to return the goods they had stole. Sometimes stuff happens. Sometimes stuff happens, and in the middle of September... Uh, What happened was the Occupy movement marked its second anniversary. And a little story in the Guardian UK starts out like this. It has been two years since a band of protesters first pitched their tents in Lower Manhattan, sparking the movement against corporate greed now known as Occupy Wall Street. On Tuesday morning, about 100 occupiers returned to the small granite plaza near the New York Stock Exchange, which once teemed with thousands of protesters. This time around, the park was barely half full. Most of the granite benches were empty. The number of police officers and reporters nearly equaled the number of protesters. Small groups of protesters marched around the streets near Zuccotti Park in the morning, while another march to Washington Square Park clogged the sidewalks in the afternoon. The protesters were scattered in smaller groups around New York City. An assembly for the 99% was held in the afternoon at Zuccotti as a nod to the massive general assembly meetings that were held on a daily basis in the park at the height of the movement. We're still out here fighting for economic justice. The bankers still have all the power, said one protester. They've bought our government, and we need a people's movement to do that, and the movement is still here. But the movement has splintered since the mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, had police raid the park and break up the encampment in November of 2011. Without leaders or specific demands, Occupy turned into an amorphous protest against everything wrong with the world. And I think that was one of the challenges of the Occupy movement, a movement that is still continuing, but does not have the momentum that it once had. I think it is a a challenge to change entrenched interests in the government and in the economy without more entrenched interests, which is a big challenge when the result you want is to have no entrenched interests managing things that to the detriment of many of the other people in the society so it is a tough fight it the the system won't allow itself to be changed from within its rules are set pretty solidly i think the best way to change the system is to build a new one alongside it It's going to have to start in small pieces, in small areas, Um, but those one day will add up to enough to cause people to notice and people to turn away from the system as it stands today. And another thing passed along by my favorite senator, Senator Sanders. Uh, This is a story that appeared on sanders.senate.gov, written by Peter Coy. The unemployment rate fell in August, but for the worst of reasons. Many Americans stopped looking for work, so they weren't counted among the unemployed. What's harder to tell is why they stopped looking. The political right chalks it up to laziness and government coddling, while the political left says people are giving up looking because a dysfunctional economy isn't producing enough jobs. The Bureau of Labor Statistics said the August unemployment rate was 7.3%, down a tick from the 7.4% in July. The worrisome part is why the rate fell. The size of the workforce declined by about 300,000, and the participation rate, fell to 63.2% from 63.4%, the lowest participation rate since August 1978. The participation rate is the number of people who are either working or actively searching for work as a share of the working age population. It rose steadily over the years as more women entered the workforce before falling sharply in the 2007-2009 recession, and it hasn't recovered since. Also disappointing was the payroll report. While the 169,000 added to employees' payrolls in August wasn't far below the 180,000 median prediction, there was a downward revision of 74,000 jobs to the previous two months' reports. The government said June payrolls grew by 172,000 rather than 188. July's grew by only 102,000 instead of 162,000. In other words, while employment did grow in August, it was from a substantially lower starting point than previously believed. So as news that we are coming out of recession and wealth is coming back, you know, percolates, note that this is a very slanted and one-sided, quote-unquote, recovery. I straddle the middle quite comfortably. I don't quite straddle the middle in case you hadn't yet noticed. Uh, In my former home state, before my former home state of Vermont, I lived in New Hampshire. And this story comes out of New Hampshire. Uh, In Nashua, New Hampshire, a father and son have been arrested in connection with an armed robbery at a bingo game in Nashua, New Hampshire. The Blessed John Church had rented out the Eagles Wing Function Center for their weekly Saturday night bingo game. One of the bingo volunteers tells WBZ-TV he was counting money and getting payouts ready when the suspects came into the bingo office. He just waltzed right in, threw a lunch bag cooler at me, and said, Throw the money in the bag, says a man who does not want his name revealed. I just sat there staring at him. The gun is right in my face, and before you know it, he's shaking, and he pulled the trigger twice in my face, said the man. Preston, Preston, who was the suspect, then apparently put the gun down and started to grab some of the $15,000 in the room. Another bingo volunteer then took the gun. I understand that you have to be... Um, stupid to perform this kind of uh, heist but do you have to be this stupid? I suppose the people who get caught and get the stories written about them are this stupid so the victim one of the victims continues I just jumped up and yelled Mother expletive, you're mine now, and I just went to town on him and took him out, said the man. Others helped pin Preston down, who then attempted to break free by scaring the bingo group even more. When I had him in a reverse headlock, choking the daylights out of him, he yelled, I got a bomb. The bingo workers kept Preston down until police arrived. No bomb was found. In future news, news of cloning. And a mouse has actually been cloned from a drop of blood. Of course, setting the stage for when we do finally find that dinosaur blood trapped in the mosquito that's trapped in amber. We will have dinosaurs among us once again. From science.slash.org. Scientists in Japan have succeeded in cloning a mouse from a drop of blood. Circulating blood cells collected from the tail of a donor mouse were used to produce the clone, a team at the Riken Bioresource Center reports in the journal Biology of Reproduction. The female mouse managed to live a normal lifespan and could reproduce, according to the researchers. So there we go. The process has been maybe not quite perfected, but the process has been uh proven to clone living, breathing mammal from a drop of its own blood. All right, cool. I think you just nailed it. What they almost nailed in uh, Maryland was a bunch of shoppers. An electronic failure may be to blame for a practice bomb that was dropped from a jet onto a tavern's parking lot, a Maryland National Guard official said Friday... An A-10 Warthog jet from the 104th Fighter Squadron in the 175th Wing was returning from a training mission Thursday night to Warfield Air National Guard Base in Middle River when the inert device was dropped. The Guard has grounded the aircraft while it investigates. Kohler didn't yet know exactly what device it was, but said it is made to fly like a 500-pound bomb, but weighs much less. This is an unfortunate incident, and we're very lucky that no one was hurt. Safety is a top priority in all operations, Kohler said. A customer at Darlene's Tavern in Sudlersville came in from outside saying he thought a car in the parking lot was on fire, said owner Darlene Hurley. The car was covered in dust and stones, and and a few feet away was a three-foot-deep hole, she said. They called 911. Police officers dug in the hole, and when they spotted the fins of the device, they called in the fire marshal's bomb squad. Bomb technicians determined that it was a practice aerial bomb, and the device was turned over to the National Guard. It could have been a whole lot worse. It landed about 100 feet from the building, Hurley said, noting that there our propane tanks nearby. It could have been really, really bad. Thank God everyone was okay. One more How far would you go to protect your house? Or maybe the alternative question should be, How much do you dislike your neighbor? In a story on consumerist.com by Mary Beth Quirk. Sometimes it's not the wrecking crew's fault for destroying the wrong house. Authorities are accusing a Michigan man of intentionally switching his address with that of his next door neighbor so he could save his house from demolition. Guess that means he won't be too popular at the next block party. The local news says a man who owned the house destined for wrecking doom is accused of switching up his address numbers. His neighbor says he was going to rent that house out on October 1 and feels the city owes him a new home. Others in the neighborhood are okay with that house being taken the literal fall, however, calling it an eyesore with broken doors and windows and alleging that squatters were living there. When I heard they tore down the house on accident, I wanted to give them a 12-pack of beer, one neighbor said. I was that happy. As for the house that was supposed to be torn down, it wasn't saved from the wreckers for long. Crews returned later to demolish it after all. Authorities are investigating the so-called switcheroo to see if the owner did indeed intentionally switch house numbers. What the hell was wrong with us? If you remember my earlier story in this episode about Toast evacuating the uh, Burlington International Airport, I mentioned during that story that security has been heightened and everyone is super sensitive about security at airports now, of course, ever since September 11th. However, despite the tightening of security... uh, Let's see, how old was this young gentleman... A nine-year-old managed to evade Transportation Security Administration checkpoints and gate agents at an airport and get on a flight to Las Vegas by himself. The boy proved he's got some sneaky moves by eluding detection by any officials at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport as well as Delta staff who didn't catch him before he hit Vegas last week. At this point, this is a Delta and TSA issue, an airport spokesman told KARE News. This is a rare incident. Delta says it's investigating the incident and is cooperating with officials. The boy's shenanigans were only discovered once the plane touched down in Las Vegas, whereupon he was stopped before he could hit up any casinos and was questioned. Authorities believe he is a runaway and perhaps spent a day at the airport taking someone's luggage off a carousel and doing a dining dash when he ordered food at a restaurant before security. Again, we can't get through airport checkpoints without taking off our shoes and our belts, but they miss a nine-year-old boy uh, sneaking through airport security. They don't want to talk about it. Of course they don't want to talk about it. They're embarrassed by it. This dumb criminal should be embarrassed as well. a story from the Huffington Post, there are dumb thieves and there is Jamie Neal. Never trust a person with two first names. It's what, well, I guess my mother never told me that, but it's something that I've come to live by regardless. This 41-year-old Brit was convicted this week of robbing a gas station in Cornwall, UK, last September. I'm not sure exactly how they found out it was him because he did disguise himself very carefully. And very cleverly with a see through plastic bag. Neil and his accomplice, Gareth Tilly, were drunk and high on stolen medication when they decided to rob the gas station. In their haste, they each grabbed the nearest thing they could as used to disguise a scarf for Tilly and a clear plastic bag for Neil. Tilly wasn't exactly a top notch criminal either. He tried using his mobile phone as a pretend gun, only to have the phone light up during the call. When that happened, the female cashier quickly hit an alarm. Neil then headbutted her, and he and Tilly grabbed several bottles of booze and made their getaway. However, Neil's see through bag was such a lame disguise that he was arrested two days later by an off duty cop who instantly recognized him in the street from the security footage. Neil was sentenced to two years in prison for his crime, while Tilly received a two year sentence at an earlier trial. I don't even know where to start. The annual census report released today shows no meaningful changes in poverty, earnings, or median household income. This is because between 2011 and 2012, the unemployment rate fell only slightly, and there was no significant growth in weekly earnings. Poverty is higher today than it was in 2000, and household incomes are lower. The quote-unquote lost decade is likely to turn into quote two lost decades because poverty will fall substantially in the next five years only if two factors are at work. First, the economy must continue to expand and the unemployment rate must fall to 5% second government policies must do more to help those among the poor and near poor who have been left behind by economic growth in recent decades and with the people who are in power and are manipulating the uh, the economy for their own good there is a 0% chance of either of those two things occurring. So, be prepared, buckle down for a second lost decade. I'm going to move on now. I am going to move on now to a story about mobile phones and the role they are playing in Africa. When he rolls into a gas station to fill his tank, Barkha Dahir doesn't get out of his car. He punches a few buttons on his cell phone, and within seconds, he has paid for the fuel. With the same quick keystrokes on his phone, he pays for virtually everything he needs. Groceries at the supermarket, a few oranges from a market stall, a shoe shine on the street, a cup of sweet milky tea from a cafe, and even if he wants... An afternoon's worth of kat, a mild drug favored by many Somalis. Everyone here has his own bank with easy access and no restrictions, boasts Mr. Dahi, a local journalist. Even lying in bed, you can be paying your bills. Here, in one of Africa's poorest countries where illiteracy is high and traditional banks are almost non-existent, A mobile revolution has created an informal electronic banking system with more efficiency and convenience than anything in the Western world. In the cities of Somaliland, the future has arrived. Cash is disappearing, credit cards are unnecessary, and daily shopping is speedy and digital. Almost every merchant, even hawkers on the street, accepts payment. cell phone. This is really fascinating. This story, if you want to read, the rest of it is from The Globe and Mail at theglobeandmail.com. It's a story from June, June 22nd, written by Jeffrey York. I find it really fascinating the ability of um, nations who have not been not been not kept up with the digital revolution as we have experienced it, who don't have the digital revolution baggage that we have and the the players intent on holding on to their pieces of the pie. I find it fascinating that these nations can now leapfrog and they can skip those several levels of of technology That we have had all along, which gave us lots of opportunities for sure, but they can now leapfrog those and go from the state where they had missed out on some of those technologies and become as advanced or more advanced in specific areas than those of us who have had this steady growth and fast-paced growth of technology all along. So really interesting story there about how nations in Africa are pushing their technology forward at an extremely quick pace. We're living a very different time now. Very different time where for a lot of us, things just keep going on as they have. One person who didn't want to continue to let things go on as they had was a farmer. This farmer is standing his ground, refusing to give in. And this story is from consumerist.com from July. There are some stories out there in the news that are just absolutely begging for puns. Get ready, listeners. To wit, a raisin farmer in California is battling the government in case In a case of sour grapes, raisin a stink over the Fed's demands that he pay at least $650,000 in unpaid fines and hand over 1.2 million pounds of unpaid raisins into the National Reserve. We heard it through the grapevine. That just begs the question for me, we have a National Reserve of raisins? Why? Why? Is, is there going to be some calamity if we run out of raisins? I understand manipulating markets and I understand uh, maybe having some commodities in reserve to prevent their price from exploding out of the reach of the average consumer. But raisins? Are we going to starve to death because we can't have raisins in our Oatmeal cookies? Uh, if our raisin brand suddenly has fewer raisins in it? I don't quite get it. But, however, the 68-year-old man has refused to fork over a portion of his raisin harvest into a reserve set up after World War II, and as such has racked up more than a half a million dollars in fines. The farm program was created to keep demand for raisins high at a time when it was declining just another indicator of the government stepping in to support the free market or manipulate the free market because the free market doesn't work all that well in many cases because tv is so good TV is so good, and TV hasn't always been so good, but there's always a show or two on TV that are so good. And actually, I'm pretty encouraged by some of the newer shows that have uh, come on the scene. But that TV bumper included the Eureka theme. So this is my Eureka Minute, and unfortunately, there's no news on Eureka coming back to TV. There is a Twitter account that has started up that's called Eureka Season 6, where some uh, implausible themes are tweeted out there into the universe. It's not a very uh, prolific Twitter account, but it is amusing to follow nonetheless. In addition to that, two of the previous Eureka cast members have some significant roles on some new programming. The first is Colin Ferguson. I've already talked about him being a new recurring role on the TV show Haven, and that new season has started to air. I think we're about four episodes in, and the first part of his arc has uh, played itself out. Um, I was not a fan of the Haven TV show, But knowing that Colin Ferguson was going to be a new cast member on the show, I went back to the beginning of Haven. I've, in the past couple of months, watched through the first three seasons of Haven. And Haven's a pretty good show. Um, I had heard some decent things about it before, just never got connected the couple of times I had seen it with those characters. So it does take a little time to connect with the characters. But the main characters in Haven uh, have a lot of depth and are really interesting characters to watch and to see their interactions and to watch them interact with other secondary characters on the program. I'd say overall, if you've never seen Haven before, I would liken it to a mixture of Northern Exposure and the X-Files. So some of that quirky, small-town community type of characters uh, married to some of the crazy beyond sci-fi um situations that the pe- that befall the people of the town of Haven. And I I don't I don't feel it's been consistently great. I feel that it has been great at times and it has been fair at other times. And I don't think that's the the characters um but it's the storyline. Some of the some of the stories are very compelling. And some of the stories are just meh, like whatever. They're they're okay, they're passable, they're they're nothing special. That all said, I, I do recommend it overall. I think overall it's a good show. Um, if I rated Eureka, which is still my favorite show of all time, as a ten, I would put Haven at mm, a seven. Um, But I I do suggest you check it out. Colin Ferguson plays what so far has uh, turned out to be a mysterious character. There's not a lot of depth in his character yet, only being on a few programs so far. Um, I hear that there's a, a great deal of significance to his character, which hasn't shown itself yet. But that's as far as I know, so I can't spoil anything for you. I have been avoiding spoiling that for myself. And on another note, uh, one of the other frequent cast members of Eureka, someone who had a pretty strong arc on Eureka, is Ming-Na Wen. Uh, Ming-Na Wen is now one of the central characters on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Marvel's Agents of Shield has had a couple episodes so far. And her character, even just in the, the, the couple episodes I've seen, has really started to flesh out. There's a lot of depth there. There's a lot we don't clearly don't know yet. Um, her character has a history that is well known by all of the other characters in the storyline with her. We haven't. We don't know the the full extent of that history yet. And she plays an agent of Shield, and she kicks ass. She fights and she flies the plane that is their kind of headquarter base. Uh, she, she is very, very good, very, very strong in that role, and I do recommend strongly you go check out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, There's a lot of uh, quirkiness to the characters. I think they've definitely built up the the most potential storyline for Ming-Na Wen's character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So go and check that out. Uh, Yeah, that's a weird PSA. So a lot is said often about the middle class of the U.S. and how much better off the middle class of the U.S. is than most people around the world. And there's there's certainly truth to that. Many, many people in many, many places in the world uh, don't have the same standard of living that the middle class does in the U.S. But that doesn't mean that we're the best that there is or we're the best that we could and I think that's where some of the criticisms and some of the challenges to the system come from. So here's a little story in the Huffington Post. America is the richest country on Earth. We have the most millionaires, the most billionaires, and our wealthiest citizens have garnered more of the planet's riches than any other group in the world. We even have hedge fund managers who make in one hour as much as the average family makes in 21 years. This opulence is supposed to trickle down to the rest of us, improving the lives of everyday Americans. At least that's what free market cheerleaders repeatedly promise us. Unfortunately, it's a lie. One of the biggest ever perpetrated on the American people. Our middle class is falling further and further behind in comparison to the rest of the world. We keep hearing that America is number one. Well, when it comes to middle class wealth, we're number 27. The most telling comparative measurement is median wealth. It describes the amount of wealth accumulated by the person precisely in the middle of the wealth distribution. 50% of the adult population has more, while 50% has less. Wealth is measured by the total sum of all of our assets, homes, bank accounts, stocks, bonds, etc., minus our liabilities, outstanding loans, and other debts. If the best it is the best indicator we have for individual and family prosperity. While the never-ending accumulation of wealth may be wrecking the planet, wealth also provides basic security especially in a country like ours with such skimpy social programs. Wealth allows us to survive periods of economic turmoil. Wealth allows our children to go through college without incurring crippling debts or to get help for the down payment on their first homes. Who's ahead of us? Let's take a look. The median wealth in 2012 in the United States is $38,786. Who's next in line ahead of us? Kuwait. Other locations that are ahead of us? Qatar, Ireland, Finland, Norway, France, Singapore, Great Britain, Luxembourg, and number one is Australia with a median wealth in 2012 of $193,653. Many times the median wealth in the United States. There's a, a lot of other great information in this article from Huffington Post. This article is from back in July, July 8th, by Les Leopold and he goes into some more detail about some of the other factors facing the middle class in the United States. It's a good read. This is not news. Well, I wouldn't say this is not news. I think this is pretty interesting news. Um, An environmentally friendly, efficient, and long-lasting battery has been created out of wood. The tiny new battery, composed of a a sliver of wood coated with tin, appears to have great potential, already showing itself to be among the most long-lasting of all sodium-ion nanobatteries. The researchers think that batteries based on this new technology would be best suited for large-scale energy storage, such as storing the excess energy produced by some renewable energy installations due to the relatively low cost of materials involved. With regards to inspiration for the battery design, the researchers had noted that wood fibers are naturally designed to hold mineral-rich water, water that is very similar to the electrolyte in batteries. Wanted to explore the use of wood as the base of an experimental sodium ion battery. This would help to address the re- help to address reality that today's batteries often use Stiff, non-flexible substrates, which are too rigid to release the stress that occurs as ions flow through the battery. The device created from this exploration has already shown itself to be rather promising, successfully lasting through a full 400 charge-discharge cycles. So, coming in the future to a flashlight near you, wood-based batteries. Let's get deeper into the conversation. All right, let's get a little bit deeper into the conversation with a a more serious subject with a ridiculous twist. Many of you may remember, I talked about it on a previous episode of the three women who were held captive for 10 years who were finally freed by one of their neighbors. Um, The individual who had held those three captive was named Ariel Castro. Ariel Castro was arrested and placed in jail. Well, at the beginning of September, Ariel Castro hanged himself in jail. After that shocking news broke, Twitter users quickly took an interest in cigars and the hashtag FreeCuba. Just a fact for listeners here and spelled out in the story for readers of this story from the Huffington Post. Ariel Castro is not former Cuban president Fidel Castro. If you get your news from Twitter, you might have this confused. So here's a few Twitter, here's a few tweets in the wake of Ariel Castro's suicide in jail. Quote, Ariel Castro found dead. I imagine the commie choked on his cigars. Now I officially have the world's greatest beard. Quote, Ariel Castro's dead. Can we finally have the good cigars now? Quote, when I saw Ariel Castro was trending, I thought it was the Cuban president. I'm an international relations student, I swear. Quote, can't believe Fidel Castro died today, hung himself with a sheet. Quote, Ariel Castro is dead. Finally, Cuba can become a democracy. As you know, if you pay any attention to Twitter... It's full of people that don't have the whole story, and don't always understand what they're tweeting about. And I'm not saying that I don't always have the whole story, or I don't say things sometimes that in, in which I might be confused. I'm just saying that it's pretty amusing when some of these things come out. Yeah. So here's a story from the Apple universe. Setting up a new Apple TV just got a whole lot simpler. Users will now be able to set up their entire system just by tapping an iOS 7 device against it. No slow process of scrolling and clicking through menus needed. The process will automatically beam over a user's Wi-Fi network and password, their iTunes store account, and their language and reason preferences to the media streamer. It works by connecting the two devices over Bluetooth and is ostensibly one of the first applications that we've seen of what iPhones and iPads are capable of when using Apple's new iBeacon technology, which creates low-power Bluetooth hotspots that perform simple functions. Though the feature was first discovered this July inside of beta software for the Apple TV, it is only now rolled out to most users through the latest Apple TV software update. It only works on the latest generation of Apple TV, however, but it will be able to connect with most iOS devices made in the last several years. So setting up that Apple TV just got a whole lot easier. And staying on... The Apple news for another story. No surprise if you follow Apple at all and listen occasionally to the almost said rants, I don't know that they're rants, but to the predictions of analyst Gene Munster. Gene Munster is predict, predicting that an Apple television set is coming. He has been predicting that an Apple television set is coming for every year for the last probably at least three. Here's a story from today's iPhone.com. He has been stirring up talk of an Apple television set ever since 2009, saying it would be coming in 2011. Well, now we are here in the latter half of 2013 with no Apple-made television set. This hasn't stopped Munster from still holding his ground that Apple will be releasing a television, which he now says is coming before the end of this year, giving Apple just over three months to make an announcement. According to the Piper Jaffray analyst, the television set will be announced this year and released next year, a la the original iPhone and iPad launches, where they were announced far in advance of the actual available for purchase date. Now, many of us have no doubt that there is indeed something in the works over at Cupertino. Whether or not it will come to consumers still remains a mystery, Television talk was picked up again when the biography of Steve Jobs written by Walter Isaacson was released in which Jobs claimed he'd, quote, cracked the mystery to making great a great TV. So certainly Apple has things in the works and things they're testing and may absolutely want to break into this market. Tim Cook has, has said such things in the past that it's a, an area that they're intently exploring, but there's no sign that it is imminent, and I think the biggest challenge for Apple to making a television set and a television experience that consumers will gravitate to are the control of the product or control of the entertainment by the existing cable TV networks. Um, It's very hard to make deals that upset the existing structure of how television is delivered. Um, There are inroads. There are places where things are shifting. There is Aereo. There is Netflix getting content direct from content creators. So there are cracks in the wall, but the wall is still holding. Um, So we will see what comes of Apple's foray into the television space when it gets here. And now you're supposed to just go ahead and move on. Let's go ahead and move on. Started out this episode right right near the the top story there with the evacuation of the Burlington International Airport, and I'm going to wrap up with another critical evacuation. This one happened in Alabama, and it happened in a post office. Story was written up by Laura Northrop of Consumerist.com. On July 11th, KY Intense Arousal Gel is relatively new to the market. It's billed as a product that can, quote, heighten sensitivity and satisfaction. Unfortunately, when some of the products spilled in an Alabama post office on Tuesday morning, employees didn't know what the substance was. All it heightened was a safety alert. The building was evacuated, and a hazardous materials team came in to dispose of the mysterious liquid. Initially, employees thought that the mystery substance contained the solvent methanol, which is poisonous and highly flammable. The package had more than a dozen containers of the mystery substance inside, but it wasn't identified until the following day. The post office told news outlets that they plan to contact the sender and explain how to better package liquids for mailing. They didn't identify the sender or the recipient, but said that the package was on its way to someone in the, quote, entertainment industry. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, we got to get some of that. All right, you go and get some of that and while you do i will wrap up this episode thank you very much for listening to episode number 11 of unrelated things don't forget to check out unrelated things online at unrelatedthings.net and you can reach me by email at unrelatedthings@gmail.com. at gmail.com related big,